0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. You know, we, we don't get to make up stories. You know, Jesus wasn't born out of wedlock. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. His parents didn't break any laws. They honored the secular laws. They were in Bethlehem leaving their home in Nazareth to register for the census. You know, we, we, we have to say what God says. We have to cling to what is true rather than looking for wiggle room, rather than looking to be more exciting than the next person. I can see
1: the promised land, though there's pain within the plan. There is victory in
0: the end, your love is my battle.
1: Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we are continuing with Pastor Keith's series entitled Church Matters. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
0: In worship, in leadership, in how we handle every aspect by holding faith and a good conscience. The faith is the Christian faith that we cling to like a life preserver. It includes the gospel, but it includes many other things as well. And a good conscience, which speaks to Someone who does what they do with integrity, who doesn't take shortcuts, who doesn't turn a blind eye, but who stays the course in the ministry that God has given them. And what happens if you don't? That's the next phrase. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Some have made shipwreck. Rejecting there is the same word that's used in John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has life. He who does not believe in the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The rejecting is the repudiation. He who believes in the Son has life. He who rejects the Son, he who ignores the Son, he who pushes the Son away will not see life. By rejecting this call to hold on to the faith with a clear conscience, some have made shipwreck of their lives. And this shipwreck analogy here, this word picture in that era, was one of the most traumatic losses of life that could take place. You know, today we say, "Oh, that's a real train wreck," or "That's a plane crash," or, but in those days, they didn't have trains, they didn't have planes, and a shipwreck was a, considered a great disaster, a, a, a tremendous loss of life in an unforgiving ocean whose depths were unfathomable. And so, there is a cost associated with not holding on to the faith, and not having a clear conscience that is committed to doing what the faith calls us to do. And it's the shipwreck that occurs. Now there's hope because in the next uh, few, uh, few phrases, he says this, among whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may, not, they may learn not to blaspheme. So basically Paul has expelled these two men from the church. Because they've made shipwreck of their faith. They have made a conscious decision to ignore what they knew was true and sort of do their own thing. And Paul has expelled them as an apostle. He has stepped in and pushed them out of the church, turning them over to Satan. That's a euphemism for church discipline. You find it in 1 Corinthians as well. But there's a purpose for that, and it's not to be punitive, it's not to be mean. It's that they can learn not to blaspheme. It's a corrective effort. It's also a lesson to the church. These two leaders, maybe elders, prominent teachers, had sort of gained their own following and were leading people astray, swerving from the truth. And, and Paul was having none of it. And so Paul says to Timothy, don't make that mistake because you'll shipwreck your faith, you'll shipwreck your ministry. So you have to fight the good fight. You have to wage the good warfare. To fight the good fight of faith, we must not weary of well-doing. We must not compromise our integrity. We must hang on to the faith. We must do so with integrity, with determination. And that requires two ingredients, frankly. And ingredient number one is this. First and foremost, we must persevere possess a firm grasp on the faith a firm grasp of the faith we can't worship what we don't know we have to worship what we know is true what is found in god's word we don't want to be like the samaritan woman we want to be like timothy like paul and so we see in verses 18 and 19 this warning this charge this responsibility these marching orders i entrust to you Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. how? Holding the faith. I don't want to get too far into the Greek grammar and the, and the terminology here, but it speaks to holding the faith. There's not a definite article there, but what it's saying is it's hanging on to the faith. It's not like he's going to lose his belief. It's like he's going to lose credibility as a teacher of the faith, because he plays fast and loose with the text. He can't do that. He has to hold on to it. He has to grasp it firmly. And then because if he doesn't, if he doesn't hold on to the tenets of a faith with a clear conscience, people's faith is going to be made shipwrecked. People are going to swerve from the truth. That's why Paul opened the epistle saying, charge certain persons not to teach any other doctrine. 1 Timothy 1, 3-4 charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. There's this commitment. There are these marching orders. This theme is going to show up again and again. It's a picture of struggle. He is to execute these orders faithfully. And what and, and, and that's a struggle that we find today in the church. We live in an era of what I call doctrinal minimalism. Minimal, minimalism excuse me, doctrinal, doctrinal minimalism. What does that mean? It's where people overstate the unimportance of a doctrine. You'll hear people say things like, all I care about is the gospel. All I care about is the gospel. I'm not going to get hung up on these lesser doctrines. You know, we talk about in our own church about Majoring on the majors and minoring on the minors. But one of the things that happens today is people tend to create a false dichotomy between what is essential for salvation and what is important still or unimportant. And so Paul is saying, hang on to it all. You know, we tell people sometimes too prematurely, let's not haggle over non-essentials. But here's the problem Here's the problem. Just because it's not essential to salvation doesn't mean that it's unimportant. How do you know if a doctrine is important? How do you know? It shows up in the Bible, right? God didn't write more than he needed to or less than he should. Not every doctrine will endanger your salvation, but it weakens the foundations of the church when you minimalize it, when you say, oh, well, this is non-essential. Non-essential, but not unimportant. Unimportant. People were playing fast and loose with the gospel in Ephesus. And not every every teaching contradicted the saving gospel, but it undermined the authority of the church. It undermined the teaching that Paul had given. Let me just do this exercise with you to kind of give you an example about important but non-salvation essential doctrines. 1 Corinthians 11.16 says this, If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. 1 Corinthians 11.16. Is he talking about salvation there? No, he's talking about headship. He's talking about the leadership structure in the church and the leadership structure in the family and in the marriage. Now, that would be a non-essential doctrine, but it would be very important. How do we know this? Because Paul says... If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. You can't just ignore the doctrine because it's not about salvation. Later on in 1 Corinthians fourteen 37, we'll read this. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. This is a non-gospel thing again. This is a non-essential doctrine. He's just laid down the requirements of God as to how people are to exercise their spiritual gifts. He's given designer specifications for the use to avoid the abuse of spiritual gifts. And he's saying, if anyone doesn't recognize this as legitimate, they're illegitimate. Now, these are not essential doctrines, but they're important doctrines. You know, like the doctrine of inspiration or the doctrine of hell. You know, if God didn't punish sinners, he wouldn't be a loving God. Believing in hell may not be necessarily essential to your salvation, but it's essential to understanding the faith. And that's why he says in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed Rightly handling the word of truth. Some translations say rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. We recite that all the time. That's like an Awana verse also for those of us who were either in Awana or our children were. But have you ever looked at the context of that passage? And the type of doctrines that it was made in connection with? Let's look at the context. 2 Corinthians 2.15 through 18. Watch this play out and listen for the names and look at the offense. Paul writes, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius, remember him? And Philetus, somebody new, who have swerved from the truth. What doctrine did they violate? Saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Second Corinthians 2, 15 through 18. Now, Paul expelled Hymenius. Think about this. Hymenius apparently wouldn't repent, and he expelled him. For what? For teaching his own version of eschatology? That the that that, that, that the resurrection had already taken place? It's not a salvation doctrine. It's an important doctrine. Because Paul wants all teachers, God wants all teachers, to rightly handle the word of truth, holding faith and a good conscience. And as it says of Hymenius and Alexander, but rejected by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan. Uh, Here's Hymenius. His fault? The fault that is listed here in the text is that they have taught that the resurrection has already taken place. So how does one determine what doctrines are important? The, you, you have essential doctrines, you have uh, important doctrines, and you have unimportant doctrines. And you have, but you know what? The real, reality is, if God puts it in the Bible, it's all important. And we are to rightly divide the word of truth, to rightly understand it, Not to teach some other doctrine, not to teach some variation that appeals to us, but to be faithful. And we do this by hanging on to the faith. We wage the good warfare. We fight the good fight by holding faith, by being precise, worshiping God in spirit and in truth, not playing fast and loose with the facts. You Remember that illustration a couple of weeks ago? Where the guy said, profound, born out of wedlock, homeless, parents went into egypt without papers you know talking about the birth of jesus and all the conduct that his parents allegedly engaged in it wasn't even true you know we we don't get to make up stories you know jesus wasn't born out of wedlock he was conceived by the holy spirit his parents didn't break any laws they honored the secular laws they were in bethlehem leaving their home in nazareth to register for the census you know we 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 have to say what god says We have to cling to what is true rather than looking for wiggle room, rather than looking to be more exciting than the next person. To succeed in the church matters, to to worship God in spirit and in truth as a church family, as church leadership, we have to hold on to the faith with precision. That's the first ingredient to waging the good warfare. Knowing what we believe and articulating it clearly and faithfully. And the second ingredient we must also possess, number two, a firm hold on integrity. Look at the end of verse 19. 1 Timothy 1, 19. Holding faith, we just talked about that, and a good conscience. Some translations say a clear conscience, or it speaks to a clean conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan. Going back to the idea of doctrinal minimalism, there is a tendency to play fast and loose with the facts for noble reasons, for good causes. I don't want to divide from this person. Can't I just kind of turn a blind eye toward this teaching? Uh, Boy, that's kind of controversial. You you know what? That shows a lack of integrity. You've heard me say before, it's not what's taught that often harms a church, but what has failed to be taught. And we have these gaps in our understanding because people didn't have the integrity to tell us like it is. There are some people who've never met an important doctrine. There are some people who will compromise everything in the name of unity. But as we see, we are to hold on to what is important with a clear clean and good conscience. We do not play games with the message. We do not say things about God that God doesn't say about himself. We don't make it up as we go along. That's why in Proverbs 30, verses five and six, we read this. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Like Hymenius, who said the resurrection had already happened, we are to take no liberties with the Word of God. We are to take our mission, our ministry seriously. Sure, not every doctrine determines someone's salvation, but if God has revealed it to us, it must be important. It cannot be neglected. You know, we live in an era where people just want to hear things that make them feel good. They want to, they want to, they want to hear happy sermons, but not all sermons can be happy. So we have to cling to what is true, doing our best to maintain our teaching, our ministry with the utmost integrity, rightly dividing, rightly handling the word of truth. And that's a battle for a lot of reasons. Because, you know, as Paul talks about in Second Timothy 4, 1 through 5, He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season when people want to hear it and when they don't want to hear it. And he says, reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience, with complete endurance and teaching because for the time will come When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober minded. Endure suffering, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Doctrine matters. That's what we've talked about before. Because church matters, doctrine matters. And we are to be faithful to handling God's word with precision. We are to do it with spirit, in spirit and in truth so that we do not make shipwreck of our faith, so that we do not play fast and loose with the facts, so that we do not neglect the, the important doctrines which may not be essential to salvation, but are essential in doing God's business, God's way within the church. All of which brings us back to Dick Thompson. One of the things about Dick Thompson I talked about earlier, and I didn't... I didn't get into too much detail. Here's a guy who was acquainted with struggle, who knew hardship, who was faithful to every task that was given him. Let me give you an example of some of the things that he learned how to do. When he, when he, when he was in his 20s, he joined the military. and He went to ranger school. He became a, a commando type. And then he joined a, another group, a group with a very innocent-sounding name, a group that no one even knew existed until recently called the Services and Operations and Observation Group, or SOG. And SOG would be like super SEALs today, except without the technology. And to accomplish his task, he would take seven people, including himself, and on occasion take on as many as 800 regular North Vietnamese troops. SOG operators learned to walk a new way. Dick Thompson is a 20-something-year-old guy. Learned to walk so slow that it took him an hour to go 100 yards, but he made no noise. He learned to walk through a triple canopy forest, walking that way 100 yards an hour with 125 pounds of gear on his 155 pound frame in 100 plus degree weather with 100% humidity going days at a time without speaking. His mission was to find out what was going on in North Vietnam. They weren't necessarily looking to always engage the enemy, but when they did, they did so. And somewhat successfully, The and I hate to get into this in a sermon, but the average kill rate was 1 to 158. That For everybody that they encountered, the enemy lost 158 for every one of them. He followed his orders and training with integrity even as a young man, and that discipline saved lives. His job was to lead people into combat and to bring them back safely under the most difficult of circumstances. In his role, the life expectancy was often about 72 hours on average. And this man was faithful. And you know what? He learned a lot about stress. And when he went off and got his PhD, he wrote a book about stress because he understood stress. He understood making difficult decisions with integrity according to the prescriptions that were given him by his superiors. And we need to do the same thing because we're not serving in the military, we're serving God. We're serving the God of the universe who has given us a blueprint for his church, who has given us a way to do church his way. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare holding fast, holding faith and a good conscience. We are to hang on to the truth and we are not to flinch and we are not to compromise it. We are not to minimize it. We are not to play it down for any reason because it's not our truth, it's God's truth, which is the truth. And the question is, what will we do? Will we wage the good warfare here in Santa Clara County, in San Jose, in California? Will we advance the kingdom of God On God's terms or on somebody else's terms, on the terms of the culture. So, in terms of application, I'd like you to ask and answer two questions in your own mind, in your own heart, and in your own soul. And question number one is this Are you willing to do what is necessary to fight the good fight, hanging on to the faith with all integrity? Are you willing to be uncompromising in the cause of Christ? And secondly, are you willing to honestly go where Scripture leads you for the glory of God, for the good of others, and your own growth, no matter how uncomfortable it makes you? You see, this is critical to the next chapter in ministry at Hillside Church because church matters matter to God, and they must matter to us, and you and I must fight the good fight, wage the good warfare, holding on to the faith, to the tenets of the faith, worshiping God in spirit and in truth, with a clear conscience, with all the integrity we can muster, we have to be faithful.
1: Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend this time with us today here on the program. And if you have questions about today's show, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events again all this and much much more can be found by visiting our website hillsidechurch.org well we hope that you'll join us again next time on grace to live but until then i'm your host kevin reeves and on behalf of pastor keith and everyone here at hillside church it is our prayer that the lord will richly bless you and thanks for listening